Good evening. House Democrats make their case. The president incited an insurrection at the United States Capitol on January 6th. House managers described Trump and his followers desperately fomenting violence to stop President Joe Biden's win. COVID and the crushing debt of taxi drivers. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. The second impeachment trial of Donald Trump got into gear today as House impeachment managers presented their case, charging the former president with incitement of an insurrection on January 6th. With the United States Senate acting as jurors, House members played audio of staffers for House Speaker of of staffers for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi barricaded in her office whispering for help. They showed pictures of a mob trying to break down the door of her office. House impeachment manager Stacy Plaskett, who's the House delegate from the Virgin Islands. They sought out the speaker on the floor and in her office publicly declared their intent to harm or kill her, ransacked her office and terrorized her staff. And they did it because Donald Trump sent them on this mission. As the insurrectionists got closer, Capitol Police rushed the speaker from the House floor at 2.15 p.m., mere minutes after the Capitol was first breached. They recognized immediately that she was in danger. The speaker was not just rushed from the floor, the Capitol Police deemed the threat so dangerous that they evacuated her entirely from the Capitol complex, rushing her to a secure off-site location. The insurrectionist intent to murder the Speaker of the House is well documented in charging documents that are now available. We know from the rioters themselves that if they had found Speaker Pelosi, they would have killed her. And that's House Impeachment Manager Stacey Plaskett. House Democrats methodically presented evidence from the former president himself, hundreds of Trump tweets and comments that culminated in his January 6th rally cry to go to the Capitol and fight like hell to overturn the defeat. Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin said to us, it may have felt like chaos and madness, but there was method to the madness that day. Representative Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania called the riot the result of Donald Trump's big lie that he had won the November election. Storm the Capitol, invade the Capitol, fight, 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 fight. Take the Capitol right now. These were the words of the crowd. Trump was telling them to fight and he would keep telling them to fight throughout the rest of his speech. These are not only words of aggression, they are words of insurrection. And if you have any doubt, listen to what he says next. Today we see a very important event, though, because right over there, right there, we see the event going to take place, and I'm going to be watching because history is going to be made. We're going to see whether or not we have great and courageous leaders or whether or not we have leaders that should be ashamed of themselves throughout history, throughout eternity. They'll be ashamed. And you know what? If they do the wrong thing, we should never, ever forget that they did. Never forget. We should never, ever forget. The commander in chief points to Congress and tells those assembled, I'm going to be watching. History is going to be made. 
This was clearly not just some rally or march or protest. This was about Donald Trump trying to steal the election for himself, claiming that the election was fraudulent, illegitimate, so that his supporters would fight to take it back. This was building on the big lie of a rigged and stolen election. And here's what he said a little later in the speech. When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. So I hope Mike has the courage to do what he has to do. When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. We told you that context matters. Here's the context. This was not just one reference or a message to supporters by a politician to fight for a cause. He'd assembled thousands of violent people, people he knew were capable of violence, people he had seen be violent. They were standing now in front of him. And then he pointed to us, lit the fuse, and sent an angry mob to, to fight the perceived enemy, his own vice president and the members of Congress, as we certified an election. Representative uh, Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania. Senators sat riveted as jurors, although many already have their minds made up on if they'll vote to convict a president who's out of office and still unnervingly popular with millions of Americans. Plaskett says the Capitol invaders believe they were doing exactly what Trump wanted to do as they stormed past Capitol Police, injuring 149 officers, smashed doors and windows, used flagpoles as weapons, and openly searched for members to capture or kill. Trump, she says, was the architect. The insurgents were not shy about their planning. They believed they were following the orders of the commander in chief. They were, as the tweet we just saw, quite literally his cavalry. So they posted exact blueprints of the attack openly, loudly, proudly. And they did this all over public forums. These were not just hidden posts and dark websites that Trump would not have seen, quite the opposite. We know that President Trump's team monitored these websites. We know this because his advisors confirm it. An ex-White House and campaign insider, as you'll read, who has known both Scavino and the president for years, said there was no way that Scavino and the Trump social media operation would not have been aware of the plan circulating online to storm the Capitol. Because, and I quote, the Trump operation closely monitored the web's darkest corners, ranging from mainstream sites such as Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit, to fringe message boards like 4chan and xchan, now called xcun, to the donald.win, an offshoot of a banned Reddit community dedicated to rapidly supporting all things Trump. Plaskett adds Trump was closely, closely as Trump was closely following social media posts, his supporters uh, of his supporters in the days leading up to what he thought was his last chance to stop Biden. And so what would Trump and his team have seen when they were monitoring these white sites? What would his supporters have said? They would have seen a clear roadmap of exactly what happened. This is an example of a post that was captured from one of the sites 
dedicated to Donald Trump that we just talked about, shortly before the site was taken down. And the meme reads, quote, the capital is our goal. Everything else is a distraction. Every corrupt member of Congress locked in one room and surrounded by real Americans is an opportunity that will never present itself again. Let that sink in. Think about that. The exact thing that happened on January 6th, that was their goal. And they said it out loud on sites that the Trump administration was actively monitoring. A third party site captured a post on the Donald.win where one user posted, quote, this cannot simply be a protest. It has to be the establishment of the MAGA militia with the command offices set up with all further militia tactical missions spreading from there. Another user said in response, quote, we will have to achieve an actual tactical victory like storming and occupying the Capitol. At the heart of this self-described MAGA militia, according to Plaskett, was the openly violent fascist Proud Boys, who Trump seemed to single out as his favorite agitators. Let's start with the President's Trump's incitement of the Proud Boys. Many of you have heard of this group, which since 2018 has been classified by the FBI as an extremist organization. Since that classification, the group has repeatedly engaged in serious acts of violence, including at pro-Trump rallies. And one such act, on September 7th, the Proud Boys attacked a man with a baseball bat and then punched him while he was down on the ground. On September 29th, during a presidential debate, President Trump was asked specifically if he was willing to condemn white supremacy and militia groups if he was willing to tell them to stand down and stop the violence. Let's watch. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, but do it? Well, I go would ahead, say... Let's hear now the president's response. Do it, sir. Say I... it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and white supremacists and white supremacists. Stand back and stand by. When asked to condemn the Proud Boys and white supremacists. What did our president say? He said, stand back and stand by. His message. says the openly racist, uh, pardon me, Plaskett says the openly racist Proud Boys found a niche with Trump because they were willing to fight including attacking an historic black church at another rally in Washington for Trump in December. It's clear that Trump and some of his supporters saw this as war, a fight against anyone who was unwilling to do whatever it took to keep Donald Trump in power. 
We are the cavalry. And President Trump continued to reinforce his support of these messages throughout the day. At 1.48 p.m., after both speeches, he retweeted his deputy chief of staff's tweet, showing his crowd that he had flown over on Marine One, and he tweeted, quote, thank you, patriots. These people were, as you can see, gathered in mass and being told by the president's allies that their election had been stolen. And they were told they were the cavalry. No one else could do it. And after hearing these speeches and seeing the president's support, this is what Donald Trump's cavalry was capable of. What you just saw was the violence that ensued after that rally. The Proud Boys, after that rally, engaged in serious acts of violence in downtown DC. Some Trump supporters and self-identified Proud Boys vandalized churches after that rally. She says Trump takes advantage of his ginned up followers who buy into his lie that he won in a landslide last November. January 6, 2021, as the last opportunity to overturn the results of the presidential election. This sense of desperation and disappointment may lead to more incentive to become violent. Unlike previous post-election protests, the targets of the pro-Trump supporters are not necessarily the counter-protesters as they were previously, but rather Congress itself is the target for January 6. The day before the riot stormed the Congress, an FBI office in Virginia also issued an explicit warning that extremists were preparing to travel to Washington to commit violence and, quote, war. Adding Trump isn't fit to ever hold office again. The truth is usually seen and rarely heard. Truth is truth, whether denied or not. And the truth is, President Trump had spent months calling his supporters to a march on a specific day, at a specific time, in specific places to stop the certification. And leading up to the event, there were hundreds, hundreds of posts online showing that his supporters took this as a call to arms to attack the Capitol. There were detailed posts of plans to attack online. Law enforcement warned that these posts were real threats and even made arrests days leading up to the attack. And yet, in the face of all this, these credible warnings of serious, dangerous threats to our capital, when those thousands of people were standing in front of President Trump, ready to take orders and attack, this is what he said. We're going to the Capitol, and we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And that's why this is different. And that's why he must be convicted and disqualified. House impeachment manager Stacey Plaskett represents the Virgin Islands.
Reportedly, President Trump has been unhappy with his defense, previewed yesterday when the Senate voted to continue the trial despite his lawyers' claim the proceedings were unconstitutional because Trump is no longer present. Six Republicans joined Democrats, still short of the 17 Republicans who'd have to break with the former president and vote to convict. There are reports Trump will fire his legal team for a second time during this, his second impeachment in a little more than a year. Republicans made it clear that they're unhappy with Trump's defense, agreeing they didn't understand where it was going. Meanwhile, the Democrats continued to methodically revisit the events of January 6th, focusing on Trump's attempts to threaten Vice President Mike Pence into declaring the election invalid after Pence told Trump he didn't have the power to overturn a certified vote. Representative Ted Lieu presented the evidence of what happened next. Trump attacked Pence on social media and at rallies, getting his supporters to believe that Mike Pence could stop this certification on January 6th. Here's what President Trump said in Georgia on January 4th. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. Behind closed doors, President Trump applied significant pressure to his second-in-command. Multiple reports confirmed that President Trump used his personal attorneys and other officials to pressure the vice president. Trump reportedly told almost anyone who called him to also call the vice president. According to reports, when Mike Pence was in the Oval Office, President Trump would call people to try to get them to convince the vice president to help him. And President Trump kept repeating the myth that Pence could stop the certification to his base to anger them, hoping to intimidate Mike Pence. Privately, in person, before Pence headed to oversee the joint session on January 6th, President Trump again threatened Pence. You can either go down in history as a patriot, Mr. Trump told him, according to two people briefed on the conversation, or you can go down in history as a pussy. As a veteran, I find it deeply dishonorable that our former president and commander-in-chief equated patriotism with violating the Constitution and overturning the election. Representative Ted Lieu of California, the trial is expected to continue into the weekend. It appears unlikely House prosecutors will call witnesses, and Trump has declined a request to testify. A year ago, Trump was charged with having privately pressured Ukraine to dig up dirt on Biden, then a Democratic rival for the presidency. This trial is less complicated and could be over in half the time. The Democratic-led House impeached the president swiftly one week after the attack. A Capitol Police officer was among those who died. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. In New York City, the Civilian Complaint Review Board that deals with complaints against the NYPD adopted new rules today governing investigations into sexual misconduct and false statement by cops. CCRB Board Chair Fred Davey said in a statement after the vote, sexual misconduct and false official statements represent some of the worst kinds of abuse of police authority. The board's vote today to empower the agency to investigate this misconduct is an important victory for civilian oversight of the NYPD adding the public should know that the board will pursue accountability for substantial sexual misconduct and false official statements to the fullest extent we can. 
And the Biden administration says it's continuing to take steps to increase the vaccine supply and get it out the door as fast as the manufacturers can make it. Yesterday, it announced the increase an increase in the weekly allocations of vaccine doses to states, tribes, and territories. They say they achieved a 28% increase in the first three weeks of the administration. Still, here in New York, many who want the vaccine are finding it hard to get that shot in the arm. While the New York Mets home at City Field joined Yankee Stadium in offering COVID-19 vaccinations to eligible New Yorkers, a lack of supply means that only a few hundred people a day will be getting shots there. The City Field vaccination hub, which opened today, will be reserved for taxi drivers, food service workers, and vaccine-eligible residents of Queens. Yankee Stadium opened a mass vaccination site last week. It's available only to Bronx residents who meet state criteria for eligibility. Meanwhile, Governor Andrew Cuomo describes this period of time as low tide in America. He says when the tide goes out, you see issues that were always there. COVID exposed fundamental issues, ugliness beneath the surface, failures in the public health system, incompetence in government, failed leadership and structural racism and discrimination, which he said were not readily apparent unless you wanted to see it. COVID killed black people at twice the rate of white people. That is a fact. It is a fact that should make us uncomfortable. It is painful to say. COVID killed Hispanic people at one and a half times the rate of white people. COVID infection was three times higher in the black and Hispanic communities. Despite that, nationwide, black, Hispanic, and poor communities had less access to testing for the virus, even though they had a higher infection rate. Majority black zip codes, 67% more likely to face a shortage of primary care doctors. That's why there were underlying health conditions at a higher percentage in black, Hispanic, and poor communities. Cuomo says any American rescue plan must rescue all Americans to deal with structural disparities revealed at low tide. Today, we're announcing a federal-state partnership to open mass vaccination sites where they are most needed, what's called socially vulnerable communities. Uh, we're pleased and happy to announce uh, two mass vaccination sites in socially vulnerable communities, one in Queens and one in Brooklyn. Uh, we're working on several states and sites in upstate New York. In Queens, it's going to be at in Jamaica, Queens, my old stopping grounds. This is a Queens accent, by the way, not just a New York accent. Uh, Mass vaccination site that will do approximately 3,000 vaccinations per day. That will be the largest vaccination site that the state has opened to date. Uh, The largest mass vaccination site in existence in the state of New York. Uh, Second one will be in Brooklyn. Again, 3,000 vaccinations per day at Medgar Evers College. Uh, And again, at 3,000 vaccinations, it's the largest uh, in the state of New York. They'll open the week of February 24th. We're going to do additional sites in upstate New York and socially vulnerable communities in partnership with the federal government. Um, And these sites are different than anything we've done before. The federal government is going to provide a special dosage allocation for these sites, and they will be staffed jointly by the federal government Uh, federal uh, army personnel, among others, uh, and state personnel, National Guard, among others. So these are going to be very large sites. They're complicated operations, uh, but they're going to get 
address a dramatic need in bringing the vaccine to the people who need the vaccine most. Governor Andrew Cuomo. And finally, WBAI reporter Julia Jonah attended Mayor Bill de Blasio's news conference today. That was after the mayor visited City Field. They spoke about baseball and the plight of taxi drivers who were arm-twisted by the city and past administrations to buy up medallions that quickly lost their value. Next is Jillian from WBAI. Hey, Mr. Mayor, how are you? Good, Jillian, how you been? I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm glad you started at City Field finally. Uh, let me tell um, you, it, it was very refreshing. It, let me, <laughs> I, had, I had a very did complex you, experience on Friday. This was very refreshing. Well, did you wear a Mets cap? Of course. Okay, and, and well, I, I had, seen you it know, I mean, Mr. and Mrs. Met next to me, it was a, it was a rich <laughs> Met experience. Well, you've got the full, the full thing. Yeah. Um, I wanted just to point out that the New York Dolls were just uh, nominated for the class of 2021 into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's a big deal. They were a breakthrough, a groundbreaking band. So we should all be proud of that. that you so, know your anyway. history. You know your history, Jillian. They were a really important band that helped bring us a lot of amazing music and a lot of the punk movement and other things Absolutely. that came out of it. Yep. Absolutely. Progress- uh, they were a predecessor to punk, one of the many. So uh, my first question to change topics is uh, there's been a series of driver, taxi driver rallies at City Hall, including one today, demanding medallion debt forgiveness. I know you know about that, um, but uh, this is especially important because of the city's role in the way they colluded with banks to inflate the value of the medallion. That was mostly during the Bloomberg uh, administration. You're right to say there were mistakes made or choices made that weren't good choices, but I'd remind you the regulation of the industry and the lending practices and the brokers came from the federal government, the state government, not the city. When we came in and saw what was happening with the medallions and with the lives of taxi drivers, we stopped the medallion sales after my first year. It's been a very, very painful episode. It really has been. I feel so bad for so many families that you know, just saw their life's work destroyed. If we can get you know, the kind of stimulus support we deserve, I think it opens the door to coming up with a solution uh, to help taxi drivers and their families who have suffered so much. Jillian Jonah reports for WBAI, and as Jillian mentioned, the New York Dolls, fronted by Staten Island native David Johansson, were one of the bands nominated Wednesday for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry and Jillian Jonah. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo for the WBAI News. Thanks for listening.